Hello and welcome to the Research and Innovation Podcast. I am Marina Papanastasiu. I am a professor of international business at the Division of International Business and the Center for International Business at the University of Leeds, known as CIBU. Today we are going to have a chat. We will discuss with my colleague, uh, Peter Buckley, Professor Peter Buckley, who is a professor of international business and founder director of the Center for International Business at the University of Leeds, Sibyl. Peter's latest uh, book um, synthesizes all his views on uh, the global factory, which is centered around the modern network multinational enterprise. So, Peter, today, I would like us to discuss about how this modern network multinational interferes, shapes, or whatever does with what we call global value chains. How do they define them? Well, I think the important thing in in international business is to look at the international economy as a system. And I think there there are a number of ways that we can conceive of the international economy as a system. One way is to look at nation states and their treaties. So the world is is divided between nation states and various treaties, which are between states or are are multilateral or international agreements like the World Trade Organization. Second way we can look at the um, global system is to think of it in terms of industries. So we can look at the steel industry, the fashion industry, the semi-computer industry, whatever it is. But the third way, and the way that I think is much, is extremely important for analysis, is to think of the world economy as organized by focal multinational firms, what we might call global factories, who manage global value chains. Now, these global value chains are not necessarily all completely global, not worldwide. Some of them are regional. Some of them are much more local. But the global factory idea is that a focal multinational firm orchestrates global value chains. And this this is extremely complex because there are two essential decisions in a global value chain. One is the internalization decision, whether we own the different elements of the global value chain or we have external relations through contracts and buying on the open market. And the second key decision is the location. Where are all these activities to be located? So a multinational enterprise is constantly adjusting its global value chain. But as we speak, day-to-day, minute-to-minute, multinationals are reorganizing their value chains. And this is in terms of whether they internalize an activity or externalize it, whether they sign new contracts for new activities, long-term activities, and where those activities are located. So the disruptions that I think we'll be talking about make a major impact on, on the structure of value chains. Yes, Peter. I mean, um, you just said that we hear day to day, I mean, every day in the news, there is something about value chains. And actually, what was surprising is that you can hear the words value chains uh, from people like the president of the United States, the director general of the WHO, which is a health organization, is not an economic organization. So 
looking at these current events, which are multiple current events, we have we are experiencing the COVID pandemic, and we discussed about vaccine distribution or problems in vaccine distribution, Brexit, the energy and food chain disruptions that we experience uh, here in the UK. What about the semiconductor shortages, which again affects all affects us all? We drive cars. Um, how do we explain all this phenomena? I mean, uh, how how important are these phenomena in order to to, to capture this uh, globality of the systems as you discussed? Well, I, I think I think everything you said, plus a few other things, are currently impacting on global value chains. So there's a massive uh, reevaluation of global value chains, and, and there are a number of of major impacts. The first one is the one that you mentioned about the political and policy impact on global value chains. So there's a move away from the World Trade Organization rules-based system. And there's an attempt to include a lot of other things in value chains other than efficiency. So a second uh, major impact is, of course, the pandemic, which means that a lot of... uh, multinationals and, and and other firms involved in value chains have to consider resilience, right? And there's a new term that I saw recently, which is called friendshoring. So not uh, homeshoring or offshoring, but friendshoring. In other words, making sure your value chains are not disrupted by the policy fractures in the world economy and particularly the rivalry between China and America, and a, a lot of a lot of companies have had to reconsider their investments in China. Well, what a lot of them have found is that it's not easy to move away because China has a unique set of of circumstances which make it a very attractive location for lots of parts of the value chain. But also, in terms of policy, we're getting a lot of non-trade issues involved, notably security. So the things like um, anything that's security-related, including the shortage of semiconductors, becomes a national issue. And a lot of companies are trying to ensure that value chains for anything security-related become much more national and much less global. The third set of influences is what you might call civil society, the impact of civil society. People extremely concerned about about human rights and values. And so, again, this impacts on China because of Xinjiang and all the problems that are related there. And companies saying we won't buy a value chain that includes Chinese cotton, for instance. So... Um, those are a number of the impacts. Two more before I, before I stop. The, the next one is green, the impact of green trade and carbon intensity and the targets, which again, uh, impact on value chain coming from consumers, coming from governments, coming from civil society. And finally, there's the security impact, biosecurity, and we've seen all the impacts that that has had with vaccines and so on, and food security, concern that the food uh, is available and is not disrupted by international value chain. So we've got a massive 
set of influences that are impacting on global value chains? I'm tempted to ask uh, what it will mean for the UK. I mean, since you talked about the green issues, since the UK is hosting the COP26 uh, later this month. So do you think that we will have in the agenda the term value chain? Well, we should have, shouldn't we? I mean, it's absolutely clear that that we absolutely should have because uh, right from the beginning of international business and and foreign direct investment, there was the issue that you carried out foreign direct investment in order to dump activities that you didn't want on somebody else. So we had pollution-related foreign direct investment where highly polluting activities were moved offshore. Now, we could equally have the so-called greenwashing effect, whereby we say we're completely green and we're fine and we're meeting all our targets. But further down the value chain, we're we're not doing. And there's been the energy crisis of the last few weeks has, of course, had very negative effects on a lot of the green targets by people reverting to coal. China in particular, re-importing coal from Australia, opening up coal mines. There's suggestions that a lot of other countries, including possibly the UK, will will have to do this in order to uh, meet energy needs. So there's a real conflict here between meeting green targets and immediate energy needs. I mean, linking that to the, I haven't heard the term before, for the French shoring and China and other emerging economies, we know that emerging economies play a vital role in the shaping of uh, of uh, M&E, multinational-led global value chains. Will this change in the future? What do you I, think? I, think, I think there are already uh, signs that this is changing because the initial conception and the initial building of value chains was by what we might call Western multinationals. And by that, I mean advanced countries. So we'd include Japan and Korea and places like that in in this. Now, for um, companies in emerging countries, there's a huge issue here. And the issue is, do you join a value chain dominated by someone else or do you try and build your own value chain? Do you be, try and become a focal firm that you lead? And of course, this is a dilemma facing large Indian and Chinese firms. It may, it may not be a dilemma when we think of it in the longer run, that in the short run, you learn from being part of a global value chain. And in the longer run or the medium term, you set up your own. And this has been actually a criticism of China, that Chinese firms have joined global value chains and more or less pirated the technology and then set up in competition. But there are other ways of uh, emerging country multinationals building their own value chains and challenging existing value chains. So the way we we should perhaps think of it is that the global value chains run by global factories are a good thing in that they're very efficient and they spread wealth and so on, but they also have negative effects in being monopolists and keeping out other people. Uh, If you have a very secure and strong value chain, it is very difficult for an emerging country firm 
to compete with that. So hence, we have all these different terms about uh, about uh, emerging country firms springboarding and learning and all the rest of it by being part of a global value chain before they then go on to build their own value chains. And this has happened, of course, for Chinese firms in particular, for Indian firms and for some other uh, emerging country firms. But it is not an easy thing to do. There was a study by uh, UNCTAD that looked at the global value chain in cotton. And they found that to move from being a subcontractor to being a primary producer, there were 30, 30 major processes that had to be gone through, not just technology, but marketing, management, distribution. All these things have entry barriers. And of course, I mean, right now we are discussing about uh multinational-led value chains. We focus on the role of the of the multinational, but as you know, and we know, and this is something that we are working together, there are multiple stakeholders that they participate there. We discussed about the state, but also there are the smallholders, which are the backbone of the global economy. We shouldn't ignore them, particularly, let's say, in issues like food security, I would say, where they are the backbone of food uh, supply slash uh, value chains. Uh, But, uh, I mean, uh, your view on that, maybe? Well, I I, I think that this is, again, quite a profound change. Um, You use the term stakeholders there, and there's quite a big shift uh, amongst, well, particularly in emerging, in, in advanced countries, to move to so-called ESG, where we look at environmental, social, and governance. So in addition to all this disruption, in addition to all the changes that we've talked about in terms of global value chains, companies are coming under increasing pressure to become more ESG friendly, more environmentally friendly, think about social goals. I mean, we in Sybil did a project for Nestle where Nestle were extremely concerned about the kind of external effects of what they were doing and how could they measure this and how could they bring it together and they put the matrix that we produced on the website and so on. So companies have to do this. It's not just about altruism. It's also that their shareholders and civil society and consumers uh, put extra demands on companies uh, that perhaps weren't there before. The idea that you just maximize shareholder value is now much more difficult to argue, I think. Yes, I mean, I would agree that there are, I mean, there are now a different perception on the process of how to achieve a, a profit or, a per, or how to maximize uh, your performance. But you mentioned also Sibyl. And um, I would like you, if possible, to tell us more about Sibyl, because for us in the international business community, globally, Sibyl has been the lighthouse of uh, creation of knowledge. And this is something that you established back in 1995. Yes, and, and the the um, the idea of building a, a sort of global research group in international business was a conception of a previous vice chancellor, and he recruited me to do that. So, so the idea has been to bring in researchers over the years who are capable of uh, expanding the. Uh, research the international reach of of what we do and i think there's been a number of threads that have gone through that some of which we've touched on in this this conversation 
the first is the, the the role of theory. I mean, I've uh, and I think everybody associated with me will have heard me say my favourite phrase is "There's nothing so practical as a good theory," which is Kurt Lewin's idea. And I think the the, the application of theory is what we've been talking about when we started. The first two things I talked about were internalization and location. And they are key elements of the internalization theory of the multinational enterprise. So theory has been a key issue. So too have developments in the global economy, the rise of China. I mean, we've spent a lot of time, established the Confucius Institute and lots of other things to look at the role of China and the changing role of China. When I first went to China, in 1988, it was palpably a developing country. It was a poor country. There were virtually no cars. There were, everybody was on bikes. It, Beijing was an utterly different city from the mega city that it is now. So China has developed. In some ways, this has been utterly fantastic, bringing millions of people out of poverty. But, of course, things have turned rather in a different direction than perhaps we thought China has not become a liberal democracy. There are very few signs of it doing so. And so its continued development and its alternative path and its alternative, its challenge, if you like, to established institutions is really interesting. And then I think the third thing I would point to in particular is the role of emerging countries, multinational firms in their own right. China, the leader, but lots of work we've done on India and other developing countries. So centrally, I think there's been a concern with the development of the world economy, the way that prosperity can spread through things like global value chains, through the activities of multinationals. And I think the general approach has been that multinationals are neither entirely good nor entirely bad. One of my other sayings is that multinationals are part of the problem and part of the solution. And uh, you know, there's constant questioning. When I first started in this field, multinationals were universally seen as a bad thing. And now I think there's a much more nuanced approach where it, it, it's, it's seen that multinationals can do a lot of good, they can also do a lot of harm. And that's why the new thing, I think, and the important thing for Sybil and other uh, um, research institutions in international business is not only to look at the theory and the practice, but also to look at policy. And we have played a very big role in the uh, development of UNCTAD as a major player in international business and the new journal, Journal of International Business Policy, together with UNCTAD's journal, Transnational Corporations. So uh, it is, I think the ideal research unit is one that looks at theory, looks at practice and the phenomenon, but also looks at policy. And I think that is something that we can definitely claim to have done over the years. Oh, yes, that's uh, that's for sure. And also, I mean, just recently, some of us, we are applying for uh, for funding uh, with the support of Sybil on uh, on these hot topics, which we 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 touched, but I think we will need another podcast to talk about all the other things that included in the GVCs, like innovation, which is in my heart and in your heart as absolutely. well. Absolutely, no innovation is. Very, I mean, I was asked uh, 
in another podcast, you know, which was at the at the worst point of the pandemic. Is there any hope? Somebody said, and I said that. Well, I will offer you two things. One is innovation, and the second is flexibility. And if right. we can have innovation and flexibility, then we have a chance. And that is exemplified by global value chains, which include both innovation and include, they have to include flexibility. And, and of course, you know, it's a challenge for multinationals, but that's what makes international business such an exciting and dynamic topic. Absolutely. Peter, thank you so much. Uh, it pleasure. was great. It was great. And uh, thank you all for listening to today's episode. If you are interested in finding out more about what we have discussed, our details are in the episode show notes. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you.